Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture and Fandom News. And I have an amazing panel with me today, two podcast hosts, one, I'm trying to think of some clever, one podcast guest person. (laughs) That was horrible. I'm sorry, Tiff. (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) I'll take it. (laughs) So, yes, I have Carla, who is basically my co-host. From Bedwetter Behead, and Eshell from Liberty Diner Dish, who was on a couple of weeks ago when we talked about Aaliyah, and then Tiff, who I already kind of introduced anyway. But <laughs> so I'm very excited to have them on for this week week's episodes. And I'm of course your host, Aaron. I realize I don't always say that when I start these now. And so I apologize, but my intro thing says my name, so that's how I kind of just give it away. But apologies if you didn't know who I am. I'm Erin. This is in case you skipped the intro. Yeah, in case you skipped the intro, my name is Erin, and I'm your host. I'm the best host there is. No arguments from my panel, so everybody agrees. Okay, so we are going to go ahead and start the way we always start these, and it's a, a way also to introduce my amazing panelists, even though I already told you who they were. But first, Carla from Bedwetter Behead. What is the one thing in pop culture right now that is lighting your fire? The thing that is setting my whatever ablaze this week is the show Poker Face on Peacock. And I know, Aaron, you probably wanted me to say the movie The Menu which I did love very much. And I did also watch this week and it was a close second, but it was definitely Poker Face. It's so good. And I mean, when there's a a TV show and they're like, oh, Natasha Leonis in it, I'm like, I'm obviously going to watch. Like, this is obviously for me. This is my content. Everybody else just gets the benefit of watching my content for me. (laughs) (laughs) But the, the really cool thing about Poker Face, the premise is that she's this person who can tell when people are lying she's like a human light detector and it's like uh, um it's like the only supernatural element in the show where she can tell the people are lying and she she can do this you know over the phone she can do this 
on video, like whatever. She can always tell when people are lying. And the from the very first episode, you're like, what? You know, why doesn't she gamble? They tell you why. And then in the first episode, she she starts using it because not only does she have this gift, she's also like a dog with a bone. She just doesn't let stuff go. It's like, okay, this isn't adding up for me. Why isn't it adding up? Because even though she can tell people are lying, she can't tell necessarily why or um, or what's going on. And her friend gets killed. And then you go back in time to where she's picking up on some things. And then she, her friend gets killed. And, she, and then she's like doggedly trying to figure out how this happened. It sets her at odds with some very murdery people. So she goes on the run. So not only is it already a cool show, because again, Natasha Leone, cool premise, but every episode you get new, amazing, huge guest stars. You have like Adrian Brody, you you have Judith Light, Benjamin Bratt is throughout uh, the the series. Uh, I, I'm like looking through, I'm like, there are so many important people here. Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Ron Perlman, Ellen Barkin, Little Ralph. Lil Rel Howry, no matter how much I try to say Lil, it always comes out as little. I can't help myself, okay? So, yes, it's excellent. Go watch it if you haven't already. If you haven't already, like, like, just give it a try. It's really good. Did I mention that Natasha Leone is in it? Who? Because if, <laughs> if I didn't, <gasps> I'm just kidding. I am totally kidding. <laughs> That would be very bizarre if I did not. That would make you very unpopular with your Carla fan base. Yeah, and, and seeing as how we covered uh, Orange is the New Black in um, 2021 as part of our Pride Month celebration, I don't know how I would have watched that show and not know who she was. I mean, honestly. Yes, so yes, I do, I do know. Yeah, that's on my list of ones I do want to start. So yeah, I, I was wondering if it would be that or the menu. Ishelle, so what is setting you ablaze? Well, I will tell you what's setting me ablaze. It's glow. <laughs> and if you've never seen the show, you don't know why I said it like that. But I have been slowly watching that show. And I think on Netflix is where I'm watching it. Mm -hmm. And I love it. I like Allison Brie. I don't know if I'm supposed to or not. But if I'm not supposed to like her, please don't tell me. I just... <laughs> I want to go on liking her. I love Alison Brie. So I as do far too. as I'm concerned, you're good. Okay, good. <laughs> there are so many like trash celebrities out there and I don't know who they all are. So I'm always scared to say who I do like. Uh, but I I love that show. I love that it is just this like great group of women and they're all they've all got something ridiculous but something deep going on. I really love a show that's set in a certain time period and really honors that and you know really plays up on that and so I am loving watching glow right now that's my thing that show is so good uh you watched it right Tiff I think you were one of the only other people I know that watched that show I love it and I miss it yeah so so much and I'm still pissed it was one of those we were supposed to get a final season so head so Heads Shall up, be Michelle. prepared. Uh oh, oh prepared. it's gonna rip your heart out. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, and they just pulled the plug on it. It was like, this, yeah. So be prepared for that. 
I, I do want to at some point, I do want to cover that show in here. It's just yeah. the wound is fresh from the fact yeah. that we didn't get that final season. That does suck. I've had so. that happen with other shows, so I can, yeah, I can understand that. Aaron and I are still, um, we're still grieving over the path. And that was like <laughs> six years ago. So well, maybe it's good for imagine. me to know that though, um, yes. to know it up front and just to kind of like fortify myself for it. So, so that's good. I'm going to do that. Gird your loins. <laughs> because yeah. it's a show that gets better each season. And mm-hmm. that's why it was so disappointing. And, it really was. Yeah. And Allison Brie is fantastic. It was just on a, and just a, a track, just an, an up, 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 up trajectory is so good. So good. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the only thing about Allison Brie is that her brother-in-law is a horrible, awful person, but that's it. Oh, true <laughs> that. I just saw her husband in a movie today, which we'll probably get to. <laughs> he, uh, and he just directed a movie that I think he also wrote with Allison Brie and with, um, uh, Jay Ellis and so Jay Ellis and Allison Brie and it's a romantic comedy so it's supposed to be really good and now I can't even remember the name of it but yeah so okay well don't list. leave me hanging who are these people that she's related to oh she's married to Dave Franco who is the brother of oh, James Franco oh, ew oh okay yeah all right that's the only but who knows how she feels about <laughs> I still her brother love you Allison <laughs> not her fault or brother we can't help who we are related to or what family we marry into sometimes. exactly sometimes you're already there before like the true colors <laughs> get shown so that is true we'll just I, we're gonna say she didn't know because we want to keep loving yes, her so exactly yeah. she yes. was a, she was a, a blissfully ignorant babe what does she know yeah yeah and and from from all i know dave franco is not like that so <laughs> <laughs> I, I we can take heart in that i guess too so yeah uh okay well tiff i want to know what is light i'm trying to think of all the different ways i can say this what's setting your flame alight why oh, that sounded horrible what's lighting your flame <laughs> bright burning it bright <laughs> well my candles are burning for the comedy drama the calm drum Mo on Netflix. It is hilarious. It's heartwarming. It showcases a Palestinian family, which is, ah, you know, not done at all, uh, especially in the U.S. So um, the premise is they are a refugee family. They've been living in Houston for like 25 years. But because they are refugees and they have not been granted asylum yet, they're literally in a state of limbo. They have no country. Like, they don't even have a passport. They don't have a Palestinian passport. They don't have a U.S. passport. So they're essentially stuck. But Mo, the main character, Mohammed, he is trying to do his best to um, hustle, keep his family afloat. (laughs) He sells sells shoes and and watches and purses out of the back of his truck. Out of back of his car, he's. I mean, but he's. Uh, but he is very much family oriented. Very much um, in love with his girlfriend, who happens to be um, uh, Mexican American, which is you know very cute. That doesn't really happen in, in stories like this. But uh, he also speaks fluent Spanish, which I thought was awesome. 
because it's just showcasing uh, how basic we are in the U.S. and that we don't <laughs> learn other languages besides English. <laughs> so hot watching him jump from from um, from Spanish to English to Arabic, like. It is so awesome. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're like, wow, dude, you're, you're, you're great. You're great. But he, um, so the, his name in the show is obviously Mohammed. Everybody calls him Mo or Habibi. You know, it's like, I guess like, you know, like friend or um, like kind of like son, but like, you know, a hey, son, that sort of thing. But his, he's the exact producer. His name is uh, Mohammed Amer. And he actually was on um Rami which was on Hulu about an Egyptian American family uh he played one of Rami's best friends and so they have like kind of cross collaborated now because Rami is also uh, a producer on this so a writer as well so that's what's lighting my candles right now that's what you see in my window <laughs> on Netflix <laughs> get into it it's fun it's funny and it's it's a fast fast watch because these episodes are like 25 minutes yeah that's another one that's on my long list because I know you've been talking about it so and Tiff and I usually agree on stuff so it it, it is on <laughs> it is on my long list Okay, well, I'm going to actually, I'm breaking my rule, and I'm totally breaking this because these are two screeners that we're going to have interviews uh, with people involved in these documentaries. Uh, the first one is the probably the best documentary documentary I have ever watched about the AIDS crisis, and that's called Commitment to Life. And it is directed by Jeffrey Schwartz, who also did the fantastic documentary about Divine called I Am Divine. So for my John Waters fans out there, you'll, that's another reason to tune into this. And it just premiered at the Santa Barbara Film Festival, so I'm not positive when you'll be definitely be able to watch this, uh, but I will update you on that. But it's please keep an eye out for it. It's so, so good. And what I so appreciate about this documentary, and I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, listeners or any of my panelists or anyone, if you know of any other ones, this is one of the only times I've ever watched an AIDS documentary where they actually said, hey, you know, when this was going on, everybody was just focused on white gay men and there were black men affected, there were trans people affected, uh, there were other people of color affected. And nobody was talking about that. And it was just in the way it was all framed. And um, and it was so hard for people that were not white gay men to feel like they could find a place to try and fundraise or try and get money or try and get support because the government wasn't helping anybody. And so everybody was becoming an activist, whether or not they wanted to be, they kind of had to be in order to try and survive. So I, I love that it was so focused on that. Uh, and I didn't know uh, some of this stuff. And I also didn't know, I can't believe I didn't know this, but I didn't know that the first AIDS walk took place in L.A. Because this is all centered in L.A. And I didn't, for some reason, know that. Uh, and it talks about commitment to life that comes from, that was the APLA, which is the AIDS Project Los Angeles. They formed this thing called Commitment to Life, which Elizabeth Taylor, who was, Elizabeth Taylor did so much amazing work amazing work during this time. I mean, she called up 
Reagan, and that's how Reagan, she got Reagan to say AIDS for the first time, even though he still didn't do anything really. But it was because of her and calling him up and saying, hey, you need to do something. You need to actually say something. But so Commitment to Life was this annual fundraiser they would have and celebrities would come out and perform and talk and they would raise money that way. So it also is about that. Uh, It also talks a lot about Hollywood and how Hollywood, you know, people, actors would, wouldn't say whether or not they had AIDS. They just wouldn't because they were afraid and people were still in the closet and, you know, listen to my interview because I asked the director about that, about, well, is it different? And, you know, he very much clearly says, so how many people do you know then that have said publicly that they have AIDS? You know, they're like, yeah, Billy Porter did, said, you know, said, came out and said he had HIV and all of that. So it still is. I think there's still that stigma. But the biggest takeaway from this and one of the most important things about this documentary is for generations that were not around during that time and did not, you know, see all that death and live with all that death and all that trauma. Now it's a generation that isn't, I don't think really knows all of that. They talk about that. And so it's kind of to show that and to show how this stuff happens, how over 150,000 people can die and nobody is doing anything about it and how relevant that is. And then also as kind of a, a message of hope of if you don't know what to do, if, if you are in a group that is ostracized, if you are in a group that, you know, the government is turning a blind eye, that kind of stuff, there is hope if you find that community together and you become activists together. Because what these people did is incredible. It's really why we had so many changes happen is because of a group of brave people that went, you know, we're dying and nobody gives a shit. So we are going to. So yeah. So it's, I really, really highly recommend it. Um, And then the other one is about Karen Carpenter called Karen Carpenter starving for perfection. So big trigger warning there for eating disorders, all of that. Um, So this is a documentary all about Karen Carpenter and Karen Carpenter's life. And we are going to be, I don't know if it's out yet, releasing an interview with the producer and a writer who did, um, who also was the author of the 2010 bestseller, Little Girl Blue, The Life of Karen Carpenter, Randy Schmidt. And so this was just really interesting to me because honestly, I didn't know very much about Karen Carpenter. I knew, of course, that she had anorexia and that she died of heart failure as a direct result of her struggles with her eating disorders. But it's also about fame, control, her relationship with her brother, and how she was, you know, always kind of living in her brother's shadow, and also how her family was with her, and how her parents, you know, her mom especially, was like, saw her brother as like this genius singer. And there was a point when, or or genius musician, sorry, an artist, and Karen Carpenter had, you know, an incredible voice. And there was this moment where she got offered a chance to do some solo work. And her mom was like, no, no, that can't happen. Brother not involved. It's not happening. So basically her mom didn't believe in her as much as she believed in her brother. And how it was kind of like, it was hard for her to ever have a romantic relationship and all this stuff. So it's really, really interesting. And they interview a lot of musicians and people that have been influenced by her and stuff. 
So I also recommend that and look for those interviews. So more on that coming soon. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so now let's move on to... So, Carla, what fandom news or pop culture news uh, has you, you know... As lighting more candles for you or is extinguishing those candles? (laughs) Yes, I feel like I feel like something within me is turning into a fire hazard at this moment. (laughs) Because I am I'm very I I'm not super torn about this. I just wish that since it's going to happen regardless of how I feel about it, that I were more excited about it. And this is that we're getting not one, but two spinoffs from the Dexter series, which it's like, okay, you know, the show finally got its perfect ending. You know, it, it, it's, it satisfied a lot of things that had really screwed up in the season that shall not be named of the original run of the series, but they're going to squander it by continuing the series basing it around Dexter's son and Henry. And listen, as much as as the the actor who portrayed him was great, and he really did a good job with his character, with his story, I liked it better left as an unanswered question of, you know, what's going to happen next? Is he going to follow in his father's footsteps? Is is he going to do the opposite? Erin is shaking her head vigorously because she does not believe that that he's a serial squirrel killer, that he Never. ate squirrels on the road and just murdered them for fun sometimes. She vehemently denies that this is at all a possibility, despite his lineage of being the son of both a murdering murderer and um, and a very nice lady who's attracted to murdering murderers. So maybe this is a show where he takes after his mom and just attracts murdery people and then foils them somehow. Although I sincerely, sincerely doubt it because this is just not the world that we are designing so and the other one is actually it's going to be based off of probably the best serial killer that serial killer dexter pursued on the serial series dexter (laughs) and he was portrayed by john lithgow brilliantly and they've decided to do a show about his origins and like why and like what for and like oh my freaking god because i mean you could probably create shows around brand new serial murder people if that's your your jam if if showtime is like desperate for oh we need more people to be killing other people come up with other ones like don't don't you know and i will be especially mad if they're good if they're good series that are like <laughs> really enjoyable to watch, I'm going to punch some walls. I won't actually because I'm a weakling and I will break my hands and I don't want that for myself in my life. I have an HMO. I can't cover that. So 
I, I, I just don't want this to happen for my own sake, for my own health and for my insurance coverage. <laughs> uh, by the way, Carla, it's not just two, it's three. There's three. The other one is the origins of Dexter. It's Dexter when oh, Dexter that's was right. a teenager and stuff. Again, unnecessary. <laughs> Didn't we get enough coverage on that when Michael C. Hall put on those awful wigs <laughs> and very unconvincingly played a teenage version of himself? Like that was the tallest teenager, the most like adult looking teenager I have ever seen in my life. Like this is a teenager who like did steroids and aged up and just stayed at that same stage. And all he did was like, it just grew his hair. That's all it did and made him very tall and talk exactly the same. We don't need to revisit that. Like a new actor, what for? Just stitch the the footage that you already have of Dexter being young, quote unquote. His his whole thing of being young is hunching. Mm, that's true. That's if you want to play old Dexter. Like I'm sorry, Michael C. Hall, you are a brilliant actor, but that's not really how you play a teenager. Teenagers they slouch, they don't hunch. Very different thing. I'm happy to give you lessons if that's what you would like. Ah. <laughs> uh- yeah, I'm I'm very mixed on all of this because uh Dexter is my second favorite show ever, period. It would be my it would honestly and Ishelle close your ears, close your ears. You know what I mean? <laughs> Don't listen to this. It would be my favorite. It would beat Queer as Folk, honestly, and be my favorite if it hadn't been for that season, that one season. But the when they came back and they redeemed the whole series, it came close to <laughs> actually becoming my favorite because I love the way they did that. But because it was so successful, that's all they concentrated on. Just because something's successful doesn't mean you have to continue it. it you really don't. And the only one that of those three that really excites me is honestly the Trinity Killer one because I think that was one of the creepiest serial killers ever to exist on any fictional fictional serial killer on any show ever but a big reason though that that was so creepy was john lithgow's performance so it's like okay uh i don't know you know it's like that's one that's got me most intrigued but at the same time also kind of like well if it's gonna it's gonna be somebody else playing trinity it's not gonna be john lithgow so I mean, unless they're going to really de-age him with computer technology, I just don't think it's going to be him. So yeah, I, I, don't I know. totally could see that happening. Absolutely, Aaron. <laughs> this is a hundred percent how I see it happening. Also, I just want to like step in here and say that I can't believe that you brought up the whole thing about how Dexter would have been your favorite series right in front of Ishel on Black History Month. <laughs> like, honestly, how dare you? I am so astounded and aghast and appalled. And other things that start with A that mean unbelievably <laughs> disturbed. I guess that's why I tried to say cover your ears. <laughs> well, but, but you know, Queer as Folk is still my favorite. So apologies, <laughs> Ishel. Apologies. Yeah, I see you trying to walk it back over there, Aaron. <laughs> I hear you walking it back. Uh, but yeah, and and Harrison is my precious little Harrison. Oh, Harrison, not Harry. Jeez, yes, it's a well. It's it's a. I mean, it could be called Harry too. So you know. Harry's son. 
Harry's <laughs> I mean, my precious Harrison never, ever harmed a single creature unless he had to. Except all I, those dead squirrels. Aaron is really going to kick me off this podcast. <laughs> my former almost co-host, Carla, who is no longer welcome on our show. Yes. Oh, whoops. Bad connection for Carla. <laughs> uh, but yes, so I, I'm very, very... Very mixed on all of that. And I don't want to see an origin story for Dexter because Michael C. Hall is Dexter and I don't want to see anybody else play Michael, play Michael C. Hall, play Dexter. Except, I mean, that little kid was fine in the, you know, but I don't want to see anyone else play that role. So, which is no offense to whoever the actor will end up being. Uh, but no, I will end up watching this anyway. So whatever. <laughs> all of that for nothing. <laughs> so... Eshell, is something lighting your candles or getting ready to light them? Or is something pouring water and dousing the flame, much like I did just a few minutes ago? Well, and you did it again earlier when you and Tiffany poured water on my glow flame. <laughs> so, so outside of that, what is... <laughs> it no longer glows, it dims. It does not glow anymore. <laughs> my glow is no longer glowing, yeah. Um, okay. So for starters, I am like the worst person to do pop culture stuff because if you go outside and lift up any rock, you will find me living under there with like cupcake wrappers, empty water bottles, <laughs> and unwashed coffee mugs all around me. Because I am so behind on everything. Like I was listening to something on my Walkman last week, literally. <laughs> I'm just behind on all of life. Um, so I think that's my frustration. There's all this like good new stuff coming out and I don't even know about it. And at this point, I'm like so far behind. I'm like, how am I ever going to catch up? And so that is what's frustrating me. Stop putting out so much good stuff like so quickly. There should just be like two new releases like every month. And that's it. Like shows, movies, just only two new things introduced into the world every month. And there ought to be a streaming service. There's just one where I can pick the things that I want. <laughs> you know, like you get like 30 options and then you can pick 30 options for that month. You know, and that can be from any network, any whatever, because I'm like, I can't keep racking up all these, you know, subscription know. fees and they keep going up every, you know, month, every year. And um, so, yeah, I think that's what I'm frustrated about. There is like, there's a lot of bad TV out there, a lot of bad movies, but there's a lot of good and it's too much good because I cannot consume it all fast enough. And that's really frustrating me. I love that idea. That is a brilliant idea. So if any network executives or streamer executives or whatever are listening, please give credit. But that is an amazing idea. You you would make a buttload of money out there. I don't know how. It probably yeah. couldn't happen because of legality reasons. And all of that stuff, but it's an amazing idea. I would sign up so fast for Eshell streaming. Like you don't yeah. even know. Uh, wouldn't you? Yes. yes, we could call it Eshell Life. Yes, love that. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you just pick whatever you want. Just one fee, and you get to pick from whatever you know. You can renew each month. You can make new selections, or you didn't get to finish something, leave it there, and then yeah, that's what needs to happen. It's like a subscription box for streaming. Exactly. Yeah, that's a yes, really good throw me idea. all your money, Carla. <laughs> that's right. Throw you all the mom bucks. That's right. Here you go. And here you go. We did learn that is a, that is very valuable currency. 
Christian effing Bale taught us that lesson during the big That's short. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. That is Christian Bale. <laughs> yes, that's currently our third most popular episode. So go back and listen to that, <laughs> and then listen to our most popular one, Newsies. <laughs> I will never get over that. Oh, my God. I just am waiting to see what happens into the year where it, where it lands. <laughs> okay. Well, Tiff, so are things putting your flame out, things lighting your flame? I have a little bit of a Bunsen burner going up under here. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Netflix has, which, you know, is incredibly problematic because, yes, as Ishell noticed, and noted they continue to raise prices. And not only that, now they're giving us the boot with sharing passwords. Yeah, we saw it, Netflix. I'm not going to remember to log into my Netflix every month. Are you kidding me? Please. Yeah, right. Anyway, I didn't even pay my car registration now that I think about it. How am I supposed to remember? (laughs) How am I supposed to be a further adult if I can't even remember to pay my car registration? Anyway, I digress. I digress. But they did do something right. My oldest daughter, she got me into, she's like, mommy, let's watch Wednesday. She's like, I think you'll like it. Now, I usually take her recommendations with a grain of salt because, you know, she's 12 and no, nobody wants to watch her her stuff. Please. No, no, thank you. But I have to admit, Wednesday was really fun. It was a lot of fun. I loved it. It was a fast watch. We watched it in like two weekends. She had already seen it. So, you know, she was all good. But it was really, really fun. But at the end, Netflix did this with Wednesday and with Mo. It says, hey, stay tuned for season two coming soon. And I'm like, yay. There's no thinking, hey, is it coming back? Is it not coming back? Because you've already told me. So that makes me happy. Even if I have to wait a whole year to, for it to come back. That's okay. I can wait. So that's what's lighting my fire right now. That's what's setting them Yay. setting some some bubbles up in the flask. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I and I do want to say, you know, Netflix tried to backtrack and was like, "That's not for the United States. We're just testing it out in other markets right now." And of course, Lies. so ridiculous. I know, and they're going to say that, of course, because of the huge backlash that happened and they know they're going to lose millions of dollars if they do this so they are backtracking and probably trying to figure out a way to get out of this but i will say the just the other day and it didn't even occur to me that this was connected until just now i don't know why it didn't occur to me i had to log back into my netflix on my tv and so i don't know if that was that or i have no idea but we shall see See, the BS has already begun. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, I had about a billion different things lined up for this. Honestly, it kept changing every day. Something would happen. I'm like, oh, that's what I'm going to bring up. And this may end up being something we end up talking about more, but this happened today. So this is, we are recording on Super Bowl Sunday, February 12th. And so... Penn Badgley is done with sex on screen. I'm just going to put that little, <laughs> that headline. And whoa, the, oh my gosh, really, the, go watch, go listen, go watch, go read the Twitter discourse on this because 
Penn Badgley said on his podcast, he has a podcast, and I guess he recently said that he wants, he wanted less sex in you season four. He went to Sarah Gamble, who's the showrunner, and said, is there any way we can have less sex? Because he felt it was disrespectful to his wife. And he said, uh, Penn Badgley wanted less sex in you season four out of fidelity to his real life wife. And said, it's really not my desire. I'm like, do I want to put myself back in a career path where I'm just always the romantic lead? And he was like, I asked Sarah Gamble, can I just do no more intimacy scenes? And which was actually, I guess, a decision he made before he even took the show, but he realized it didn't necessarily fit with what the show you is. He said, it's really important to me, fidelity in every relationship, and especially my marriage, is important to me. It just got to a point where I don't want to do that. Now, the interesting thing about this is more the way people are reacting to this on Twitter, because it almost seems like a generational reaction, because it's really weird, and I'm not saying this is broad across the board, but Younger people, Gen Z people, seem to be applauding him for this. And other people are like, basically what you are saying is that if actors have intimate scenes that they aren't acting and they're cheating on their spouse and you want us to go back to the Hayes Code where we're not going to have any sex, is that what younger generations want? Because younger generations are applauding this. So I just... I almost was going to be like, I'm going to ask my panel what they think about this, because really this should be a subject we just talk about. But I'm very mixed on this because on one hand, I think every actor, I think it's essential that they feel comfortable if they're going to do any kind of intimate scene. And if Penn Badgley does not feel comfortable doing that anymore, that's totally his right. That's his body autonomy. He totally has every right to do that. On the other hand, It does present an interesting question. So why does Penn Badgley feel that him doing sex scenes and intimacy scenes, anything like that, and there are other actors that do this too. It's not just Penn Badgley. There are other actors that have come out and done that. But why does he feel that is a form of infidelity? Does that mean that he's automatically attracted to all these people that he's doing this with? Does he want to sleep with them? Does he, has he forgotten that, you know, when you do an intimate scene, I, you know, when I used to act, I've done that. I've done kissing. I've done other things. It's so not at all sexual. Like it's so clinical is almost the right word for it, honestly, but it feels there's no actual attraction there. So, you know, it's just acting. You're so, it's like, I don't know. So I'm very mixed on it, but it's interesting to watch the enormous reaction on social media and the anger and then also saying that this generation wants us to go back to the Hayes Code because they're supporting what Pam Badgley said. And I even, I think that's kind of a bit of an exaggeration and it could be just people being people and exaggerating. But it's just kind of like, I think people should do intimacy scenes if they feel comfortable with it and no one should feel pressure to do that because that should not have to be a part of it no matter what the story is. But saying that that is infidelity is a little bit weird to me, too, because it's not really – it's not infidelity because you're not actually doing anything. 
I so. just I, I, I just find it interesting, you know, like you were saying, a totally great points, Aaron. His idea of the word intimacy to me, that doesn't always mean like physical, it being in the act of a physical intimate act, right? Intimacy can also be hugs and back rubs and sitting close together, you know, and, and foot rubs and things like that. So when he says intimacy, is he talking about all of those things in conjunction or is he just talking about, oh, sex scenes? This is that's pretty, yeah, yeah th- like this is what I mean. I'm talking about I don't want to be in a bed up against wh- whatever, you know, with my scene partner. That's exactly. And I have to say, having watched, you know, you for the three seasons, I haven't watched this, uh, this, you know, present mm-hmm. season, but having watched, it's pretty tame in terms of the, you know, air quotes, sex scenes. It's not like super duper out there, like not super duper. And he doesn't really show anything. So I don't know. No, I don't. But the young, you know, the gen, I don't know if it's millennials and Gen Xers who are saying Hayes Code type of thing. Yeah, that's, but that is who's saying it. I mean, it's like, okay, stop. <laughs> Calm your, cool your jets, people. <laughs> cool your jets. It's not that. It's not that. Like Aaron said, he should have, he should feel comfortable in whatever he wants to do, but he also needs to realize as well, that that is going to sometimes take him out of the running for certain things because they'll be looking for an actor to do certain things in a scene. And if you have mm-hmm. this in your, like, if you have that in your, in your clauses and in your writer that I'm not going to do such and such, I'm not going to then just be prepared for that. You know, you can't come back and say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to complain because these people blah, 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 blah. Well, dude, this is what you said. You thought you were being unfaithful for some insane reason. So deal with it. <laughs> I, I think where the, the whole thing with the younger people say, saying that, yeah, that makes sense, you know, totally. Look up the phenomenon puritines. Look up that phenomenon uh, yeah. and you will get a, a broader understanding of this, of this much younger generation taking taking some concepts to the extreme to where they come all the way back to very repressing ideas and that they it's come up with a lot of different subjects it's come up with things like um that white people shouldn't marry black people because they're taking black people away from other potential black mates even though it's adults consenting and you know so so there there's there are a lot of ideas like this where they they're going to this far extreme where they think they're being so progressive and so liberal minded about it and no they're just pretty much bringing us back to the 1800s and so it it makes sense to me that they would it just tracks it just tracks and again you know not all gen z and not all these teens but enough of them that there's a whole uh word dedicated to the phenomenon well, thank you for for mentioning that, yeah. Because to be honest, I wasn't aware of a, a lot of that. So, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you know, it's just so interesting because the reaction to it, it just like huge, huge thing. Like you know, most of the stuff that's being talked about today, of course, is Super Bowl. But then there's this. It's like <laughs> everybody is talking about this, and you know, and then there'll be these debates of like. 
well, what about his body autonomy? And then other people say, you know, people that are upset about him saying this and the and the reason he's saying it with the infidelity and being faithful is that's where a lot of people that are taking issue with what he's saying have the issue. They're like, if he was to say, I just don't feel comfortable doing this stuff anymore, I don't want to put myself out there like that, that would be different. But saying, and I totally see this side of to it, because saying you feel like you're not being faithful to your wife is weird because you aren't actually having sex with these people. You aren't actually kissing them. You're not actually being intimate with them. So... Okay, so I have not seen you, but I saw the that uh, headline um, on my phone. And so I was like, I'm going to click this article because this is interesting. And I agree that the terminology he's, he's using may be a little bit weird, but you set the boundaries for your own body, but also for your own relationship. And so whatever their boundaries are in their relationship, and maybe they've evolved. Maybe they were one thing at the start because she knew he was an actor and she knew it was just acting and it's just doing the script, but maybe that has changed. And I don't necessarily know that he owes it to anybody to explain why their boundaries have changed or why they're using those words. But um, it maybe it could be, you know, people do this weird thing where they like fetishize people too. And maybe he just doesn't like being perceived as that where people see him and his fans are like, they're not coming to see me for my acting. They're coming to see me for my body or something like that. Or they have these like sexual fantasies about me or whatever. And so maybe that makes him feel uncomfortable or unfaithful in his relationship yeah because I mean even in open relationships there can still be cheating you know so what people say whatever their boundaries are that's what the boundaries are and so if he feels like that's stepping outside the boundaries of his marriage then to him it is I think it'd be one thing if he were actually saying all actors who do this are committing infidelity but he's just saying for me it feels like that's what it feels like and I mean he's entitled to have that opinion and it's his choice and I think as long as he goes into it, like Tiffany said, with the understanding that there may be some roles that I don't fit or don't work for me and they might not be willing to tweak them. I mean, it's no different from people saying for, well, it's different, but it's not different than people saying for religious reasons, I don't want to do scenes like that. And so he's just saying, because of my relationship, I don't want to do scenes like that. So yeah, it's a personal choice, but the response, I didn't read the responses to it. I just read the actual article. I I try to not go into the comment section unless I'm just feeling like a petty princess that day (laughs) and I want somebody to back up my bad opinion about something. Um, But uh, to hear about the reactions to it, that is pretty interesting. It's so, because I hadn't read anything. I had just seen something on Twitter, seeing someone say it, like, just like a post. And so I went, well, I got to look this up because this isn't even linked to an article. I don't know if this is really what he said. And then I looked it up and then I kept seeing all these people that, you know, were just very upset with what he had said. I mean, and I'm just saying, I saw more of the people upset with it and quoting this one tweet of this one person saying this gave them faith in men again or something like that, something along those lines. And so then seeing all these people that I follow and really respect being more on the this is outrageous side and a lot of actors getting very upset about it was also an interesting thing. So, um, so yeah, it's just, I mean, because he's definitely not the only one. Mahersha Ali will not either. He's, um, and also Jim Caviezel, who very much that's a religious thing because he's very religious. And so, you know, and yeah, you're right, Isha. We don't know their relationship. And I, we do know because he's spoken about it that people do lust after his character, Joe Goldberg, which is 
not the point of you, but people do lust after that character. And he's spoken a lot about how that's really not okay and stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I'm going to have, I really, what I want to do is listen to that actual podcast episode, because once again, these are quotes from the podcast. So it could be all taken out of context and sound different if you hear it from his voice. And I've never really listened to his podcast. So I think I may just go to make sure that I'm getting the full full thing. But I just thought it was just an interesting reaction. So I was like, okay, I have to bring that up. I'm like, I should have just, if this had happened earlier, this would have been the main topic we would have been talking about, honestly. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. So we're going to get to that topic. If you didn't know, uh, AMC Theaters is going to change movie ticket prices based on seat location. So if you, for instance, are getting a seat up front, your tickets will be cheaper. The more um, high-end seats will be more in the middles, you know, the better, the quote unquote better seats. Um, because I don't know about you, but I, if I, if I am looking to go to a movie and I see that front row is all that's available, I will not go (laughs) period because you're just going to, you're, it's going to hurt your neck. Number one. So, you know, and, and I want to say, uh, definitely, I think the reason this is happening is theaters, movie theaters have suffered lots of financial losses. Uh, because of the pandemic. So they're trying to find a way to make up for those losses. And so this is the way they've come up with. You still can become, by the way, you can still become an AMC A-list member, which is at $22 now. And you pay that a month and you get, you get, um, it's actually an amazing thing. I used to be part of it and then I stopped it with the pandemic because I was like, well, it's a waste of money because I'm not going. And it's like, you can see up to three movies a week for that price. So it's really a good deal. And so I looked and that still seems to be offered. So I don't think that has changed, but a lot of the backlash around this has been, you know, how this is going to price out a lot of people from being able to go to the movies. The movies are already so dang expensive to go to anyway. And if you have a family or anything like that, you know, it's going to really price, um, price people out. Um, And I wanted to read uh, this quote actually from Elijah Wood, who uh, wrote recently after this happened that, uh, quote, the movie theater is and always has been a sacred democratic space for all. This new initiative by AMC theaters would essentially penalize people for lower income and reward for higher income. So I want to know, Carla, what are your thoughts on AMC doing this? It's such BS. It absolutely, what Elijah Wood said is absolutely true. And it's it's already hard enough. I mean, I don't go to the movie simply because, you know, there's still a pandemic on. And I, that's just not, you know, sitting in a stew of people's breath. It's really not my thing right now. But the the fact that movie prices movie ticket prices have become so unbelievably unaffordable 
and now you're adding another layer of capitalism to it this is you know just another face of capitalism this is just another way to keep those poor people in their place you know it's like i saw a tweet by somebody who i follow and they said that that you know like it's not a big deal to them because in fact they prefer sitting in the front seat because whatever reasons they have and you know like it's they're not such awful seats and people are complaining about nothing it's not about nothing there's a reason why you know i'm glad that this works for you but think about all of the people for whom it does not work there's a reason why even if it's just as simple as preference there's a reason why people have that preference you know, like I'm not a middle, middle seat person. I like to sit all the way in the back where I don't have like people kicking me and like throwing popcorn out in my way. But it it shouldn't really matter where you choose to sit. You know, you're, you're paying to go and sit in a movie theater. And now suddenly you're being told that kind of you're not good enough to sit in the good seats. Like, and we know who this is going to affect the most, of course. This is going to mostly affect uh, lower-income people, people who are um, Black, Indigenous, people of color, because racism and, you know, inherent systematic um, systemic wage disparities. And also the people for whom that simply doesn't work. Because, you know, if you sit all the way in the front... For a lot of people, it causes a lot of nausea. It can be very difficult to to deal with the um, the screen if you have a, a visual issue with it. Um, there, there are just many reasons for which this this is an awful plan. And like I was saying before about the the price increases that were already in place, you can't you know going to the movies used to be like the, the cheapy way to entertain your family. It used to be that, you know, like, okay, once a week, we're going to all pile in the car and go to the movies because that's like the one thing we can afford this week to do as a family. And that's been, you know, you wonder why pirating exists and why it's such a big thing. It's because you, the media, insist on making things inaccessible. When you insist on making things inaccessible, people are going to find ways to make it accessible to them. And pirating, I, you know what? Frankly, I'm all for it. Like, I don't care. Like, oh no, these billionaires are not going to get my 15 to $25 this week. Whack, go cry about it. You know, like, and also because, you know, until you go to, to see a movie, you don't know whether it's good or it sucks. And you're taking a big gamble with your uh, disposable income, of which there is not a lot these days, because the old adage of like, oh, you shouldn't spend more than thirty percent of your of your monthly salary on where you live, it's not possible. Have you looked at mortgage prices lately? Come on. So, this is just another way to to discriminate against people who who are poor and low income. And I just. Like, I don't feel bad for all the piracy that's going to to follow this. Like, you're reaping what you sow. It, you know, during the um, during 2020, when movies were being released, either exclusively streaming or simultaneously streaming and and in theater, that was great because guess what? It was super accessible. 
it really leveled the playing field for the people who could afford to go to the movies and the people who couldn't or who just it, it's not a safe place for them so they could watch it at home you've taken that away and now you're making it that much harder for people to access your entertainment go to hell people will find it elsewhere and that's on you i do want to stress for legality reasons we are not saying to go because i want to lose sponsors so i am not <laughs> saying go and do that at all because it is illegal and i have give reasons that i actually have issues with a lot of pirating because a lot of pirating sometimes hurts the smaller films and people that aren't making much money behind it so i'm <laughs> that's that's my um, thought on it i'll get to that when i get to that smaller films are usually released differently and are, are more accessible anyway because they're usually re uh, a lot of them are released to smaller theaters that already have uh lower seat prices other than that Sometimes, but there was recently of a very small horror film that was being pirated everywhere and these people made it for nothing and they weren't making any money and luckily, um, you know, Shudder stepped in, but they already lost a bunch of stuff because of that. So that's where my my thing on that comes in. And, and honestly, and if you didn't know, most of the money that movie theaters make actually comes from concessions and not from the ticket prices. So that's, uh, you know, another weird thing about it. And and a lot of movie theaters, actually, what's so weird is with AMC, too, during the pandemic, they started doing, and they're still doing it, like offering cheaper seat prices at particular times. And they're still offering that. So I don't know why, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so Ishelle. Yeah, I get that they're trying to recover. I don't think that this is the right way to recover. Um, I haven't been to the movie theater in some years. I think a lot of it was probably like COVID stuff. But even before that, I hadn't been a long time. Um, well, in, I say a long time, in a couple of years. When I was in college not that long ago in my town, it's kind of a smaller town, college town. Um, you could go see a movie for $4.25 and you sit wherever you want for $4.25. And at the time, uh, in other cities, um, you know, a movie ticket was like $15, you know, uh, and so that's why I would go all the time. I loved going, but then the experience just kind of changed for me at, you know, there are shootings at the movie theater and now there are germs everywhere and all that stuff. And so it just wasn't really appealing to me. And then just to like leave your home these days, is like, oh gosh, do we have to? <laughs> and so I get that they need to draw people in, but I'm like, I think, I think there are other things that you could have done to do that, to accomplish that. Maybe how about you like mop up the sticky floor and sweep up the popcorn? <laughs> yeah. Just do things like that. You know, make me feel safe. Don't make me feel like an elitist when I come to the movies. Um, you know, put some security there, something like that, just to Lysol the place. <laughs> you know, something. But I feel like those would have been better strategies for drawing people back in because part of me misses that experience, but I don't miss it enough to pay more money for something that I'm still not getting any, they haven't changed anything, but, and I always got there early enough to get the seating I wanted anyway. And yeah, so I just don't feel like this was the right, the right call. I do, I do think it ostracizes people and it makes you pay more for something. And I think that kind of works against them because like, well, I'm not going to go at all. You before it was kind of luck of the draw. <laughs> there was something we had a theater where I lived in, um, you could pick your seats. You didn't pay anything different, but it's kind of like, you know, picking your seats on an airplane, but 
but they the price didn't change. It's just whatever was available you could pick from that. Um, but with this, I just I don't see that that's gonna maybe a little bit, but I don't really see that's gonna work the way that they think it that they think it will. I don't know. But yeah, I kind of agree with what Carla was saying on the you're just ostracizing people. You're making it harder for families to go out and do that when people are reluctant to do it anyway. I don't feel like you're helping yourself by making it more expensive for people to go out and enjoy it, um, to sit in a place where they're going to feel comfortable and things like that. I just don't think that this is going to accomplish the goal. Tiff? Yeah, I I agree with, with both Carla and Michelle that there's, there's honestly no way for movie theaters to recoup what they were making pre-pandemic. It's just not. Let's just, let's stick a pin in it. It doesn't work anymore. Movies are not going to make billions upon billions of dollars anymore. They just aren't. I have no idea why that Avatar movie made as much money as it did. I'm I'm so confused by this. I'm thoroughly flummoxed by it. But whatever. The I, the last movie that I saw in theater was uh, Wakanda Forever because I was bound and determined to go see it. I wanted to see it. I wanted that full experience of it again in Dolby because there is a difference between watching it at home on and granted I have a very large TV has pretty good sound. It's not the same as being in the theater with the Dolby Digital and my my seat going like that. But um, but to draw me out, it has to be something like that. It has to be a tent pole movie to to get me to go see it. It has to be a Wakanda Forever. It's not going to be or you know some kind of um, that indie film that we've been talking about that we know needs the support that is only showing at a certain area, that sort of thing. That's the only way I'm going to the movie theater. I'm not going to see just some, you know, rando movie on it. I used to do that. Like I would go on a Tuesday or Wednesday because I used to have to work on the weekend. Like every other weekend, I would have to work a Saturday or a Sunday. So I would have a day off during the week. So I'd drop the kid off at school. And then I'm like, okay, well, it's 10 o'clock. There's a movie playing at 1030. Let's go see what's up. <laughs> and, and that's what I would do. I would just go see what's up. And I ended up seeing a lot of things that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily be on your to see list, but that ended up being pretty good. I think at that point in time, let's see, so that would have been like 20, 2017, 2018 or so. Uh, if you went to a matinee at AMC, the matinee was like 575. So not bad, you know, and it's the morning time. So you're not going to go in there and want concession or anything like that. So I'd sneak some stuff in my purse into the theater. You know, I mean, hey, one time I'll tell you about the time that I snuck in two chili dogs, fries and a Pepsi because I had on a coat. And <laughs> that's the it, best. And it was awesome. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, they're definitely going about this the wrong way. I think they're trying to take the tack of like how um, concert venues, that's what they're looking at. They're saying, oh, well, they charge different prices for different seating. The closer you are, if you're on the floor, you're going to pay $1,000 per ticket. And if you're in the nosebleed somewhere, you're going to pay $200 per ticket. So let's do the same thing. But you know what, dudes, it's except they're doing opposite. It's blowing up in your face because guess what? The people that sit up and toward the back in the theaters are people with little kids, a la me. <laughs> I don't sit down toward the front because I have a kid who is going, a three-year-old who is going to be making a lot of noise 
and not that I take her to anything that's going to be that's not appropriate for her. The last movie that we went to go see was Lightyear, and she and my niece, who was also three, acted pure darn fools because they got freaked out by the Dolby Digital because it boom, you know, your chairs and boom like that, and they got freaked out. But that that's who's sitting toward the back. It's people with young with younger kids and. So you're going to charge them more because they have to sit back there. So now you're going to force them down to the front where other people are not going to be able to enjoy the movie because guess what? You're taking the kids to the bathroom. They want to get a soda. They want juice. They want candy. So we have to get up, go, go, get up, sit down, get up, sit down. They're flopping and flipping and doing all this other stuff like that. It's not going to work. It is not going to work. They need to go back to the drawing board. They need to figure out, like Michelle said, ways to A, Deep clean your theaters, people. Deep clean your theaters. I worked at a movie theater for a year and a half. I worked at an AMC and I worked at one in Atlanta and I worked at one in the LA area. Yeah, those floors get really sticky. I only had to do like the, what they, like usher duties for like a month. <laughs> and then they put me on concessions. And I did that for like two months. And then I worked on box office and concierge. And that was it. Never went back to doing other things again. They don't mop. They don't mop. They don't mop those floors. They don't, no, they don't do anything. They have cleaning crews that come in in the overnight when the theaters close to come in and do like sort of a, it's not a deep clean. It's like a cursory kind of clean thing. But they need to have people come in like three times a week to like really get it in to get it in there. And like you said, Michelle, they do need probably some real like security for to make people feel secure because hello, we live in this God awful gun happy gun slinging country where anybody can just walk in anywhere if you live in a certain area and do terrible things. So focus on those things. Focus on those things that are like very easy fixes and maybe you can get people back in. And don't close theaters that give you that full experience. Don't close those theaters because get they close like all of the arc lights out here in LA. And it is so disappointing because that was my favorite theater to go to. I loved going to, I loved going to arc light. And now, poop, no more. Two thumbs down. I think one of the best theater chains in the, around is actually Alamo Theaters. And Alamo Theaters is, they actually can be, sometimes can be like a, a little bit more. But the thing I like about Alamo is the reason it's no fun to go to the movies also is the fact that people use their phones. People are talking constantly. People are sitting there like texting um, they have the bright light of the phone. They're not dimming it. All this rude stuff. And so at Alamo, they don't tolerate that. Like, they really do not tolerate it. And if that happens, they kick them out, like, right away. You can press a little button, call them, because most of the places also you can get food, and they will come in and make the person leave. And so then if you're offering a better experience like that, and they also show a lot of movies that other places don't. And then they'll also do like special movies and revivals and all of this stuff. And they'll do like special like days just for women to go see a movie. Of course, they got lambasted for that when they wanted to do that with um, Captain Marvel, of course. 
But they do that kind of thing, or they do like, you know, cocktails or brunch or brunch in a movie. So if you're having a theater where you're, and and it's not even that they charge that much more because they really honestly don't. And I think they also have like a program where you can pay a certain amount. I could be totally wrong on this. And you get a certain number per week that you get to see or per month. But if you are going to have a a theater where you are going to end up charging like a dollar or two more, I'm not encouraging theaters to do this. I'm just saying if you're doing that, then you have to also up the experience and make it worth that because of the experience is lessened than it was 20 years ago and the price has quadrupled than it, you know, what it was 20 years ago. I don't know the exact math, so don't come after me if I'm wrong on that because I probably am. Then you have to also increase what the experience is and make the experience better and enhance that. And so if you're not going to do that, then what's the point in it? What's the point in doing that except for trying to be greedy and make more money because you're freaking out because you've had to close theaters because you're losing money? And I know AMC is still doing this right now where they also were doing this thing, which actually is a great, wonderful thing, where they were offering private theater rentals. So for people that did not want to have to sit with a bunch of strangers, you could rent out the theater uh, for a certain amount. And you could have up to a certain amount of people and you get to select which movie you want to watch. That's out. You can't do any movie, of course, but that's out and watch that. So that that's a great thing. But that's not promoted that much. So people probably don't even know about it, honestly. And I think, you know, they they used to do and I don't know if they still do the five dollar Tuesdays at AMC. And so if you do a lot more things like that, I do think if you offer kind of incentives or like discount day or discount that instead of increasing prices for certain seats, offering specials, I think that'll get you more people in and offering, you know, certain screenings that are like family friendly screenings or screenings that are the opposite of that or special, you know, or making sure that people aren't are actually making sure people aren't using their phones and like everybody said, cleaning and all of that. And and also, I want to say, if you are going to do this, if you're going to raise prices, also show that maybe you're raising, I don't know, the wage that you're paying people that are working there. Because if you're raising the prices, then that, to me, would equate that you are definitely going to raise the prices of your wages, which is not at all what they're doing, I don't think. So we know that's not true, but if you're going to do, but if you're going to raise them, also show where it's also going to benefit people that are making no money and having to deal with people being angry and screaming at them and yelling at them all day long. So, you know, raise them there and that'll be the good place to raise them would be, I mean, raise them, raise the, I'm sorry, raise how much you're paying people if you're going to be bringing in more money, supposedly. Also do that so that it's not just a way of punishing people. And I'm not at all supporting that they're doing this, though. I want to stress, I'm not supporting them doing this. I'm just saying, if this happens, there has to be more of a reason than just greed and not even thinking about all the people or thinking about it and not caring, all the people that you are going to hurt by doing this. I mean, yes, I understand they're losing money. I understand that. I understand the pandemic has hurt that industry in a different way, and we have to look at a different way to consume media. So I totally understand that. I get that. I get how you need more money, but find different ways to do it. 
There are different ways to do it. If you offer better incentives, if you offer more of those private screenings, if you offer discount days, if you go back to saying, you know, if you are not comfortable being in a theater with all these other people and you want to go back to that spacing and having more of um, a cleaner environment, we will offer that. Go back to that. And and then you won't have to raise the prices. If you offer that, there might be, you might be able to bring in more people if you are making it a safer environment for people. I think everyone should really, really design their theaters the way Alamo does because Alamo is one of the best places I don't go to Alamo that often, which is weird, or I never did. You know, I haven't been there in years and years. But every time I did, I loved it because it was an experience where I knew going in, I wasn't going to have to deal with someone's phone or their talking constantly or anything like that. Because to me, going to a movie theater is like one of my favorite things in the world to do. And it has been so, so tarnished by so many things over a long time, not just the prices, although the price is a big part of it. I mean, I remember when you used to be able to get some quarters and change and be able to go to the movie theater. But the fact that you don't feel safe all the time, that's why I actually do not like going to tent poles because I, that's when I go, this is not, I, I, my first thought is, uh-oh, I hope nobody comes in here and shoots up the place. And I hate that I think that. But, you know, it used to be a safe place and a haven to escape for a little bit. And, you know, and now it's just, it's, it's not, and you, they want to charge more for you to have a worse experience than you had before. So do the Alamo way. <laughs> do the Alamo way. Do the Alamo. Yeah. I have to say AMC is one of the worst experiences yes. for, for theaters. I mean, honestly, it really is. AMC is just, ugh. And of course, the two theaters that are closest to me are AMCs. Ha ha. Joke's on me. Oh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except there is an Alamo close to me, actually. There's an Alamo like 10 minutes away from me. That's why it's so weird that I never, even before the pandemic, I wasn't even going there. And I don't know why. I think it was because I had the AMC A-list thing, which actually was an incredible deal. I mean, that was flipping phenomenal <laughs> deal. So, I mean, it paid for itself with one movie. But they increase, then they increase the prices of that. Um, and I'm really surprised they still have that, to be honest. I thought for sure they'd be getting rid of that because of everything. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and close out this episode. I'm like, what are we talking about next? Oh, yeah, we're closing out this episode. That's what we're talking about. <laughs> so, Carla from Bedwetter Behead, where can they find Bedwetter Behead and where can they find you? Thank you, Erin. You can find Bedwetter Behead podcast wherever you get your locally grown organic podcasts. And even some podcasts that are further away, it's still organic and locally grown where Meg and I both are. You can find us uh, retweeting stuff on Twitter at bedwetbeheadpod, on Instagram at bed.wet.behead.pod. Uh, we also have other social media. You can find us by looking for Bedwetter Behead podcast. Again, we haven't posted yet, but I, I am thinking about posting stuff. So please support <laughs> me in my thoughts of perhaps posting stuff there at some point in the future or not. Help me be positive about this, people. You can follow me and my thoughts and my musings on Instagram at Carlatemis or my website, carlatemis.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S dot com. I did that more in my head. That was a very <laughs> weird one. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not doing what I normally do. For those following along, just go back and listen. So that that was the cleanest version ever. <laughs> yes, it was definitely the, the PG version. It was even rated G, oh my goodness. I know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What am I doing? I'm sorry. It's not like before with I was using my fingers. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I use my fingers, my mouth, my, you know, anyway. So see, now I've ruined it all. Oh, God. <laughs> so, Ishel, before you leave and run and never come back, please tell people where they can find your Queer as Folk podcast. I almost said bed wherever you <laughs> Yeah, surprisingly, I know I know you're all shocked, but we have moved over to Bed Water Behead podcast now. Pretty diner dish. Yeah. It's just a rotating combination of the, the main characters of, of Queer's Folk getting yeah. bed and beheaded. Exactly. This is what we do, just on a loop. Yeah. Um, now I'm never, ever coming. She has canceled my whole podcast. She's merged me into Carla. So I'm never, ever coming back. So I'll leave you guys with this parting, this parting, these parting words. You used to be able to find me and my wonderful co-host at Liberty Diner Dish uh, podcast. And should be streaming. I don't know. You have to check with Aaron these days. <laughs> you know, if I'm joking with her, guys. Um, but it should be streaming anywhere you can find your podcasts. We are probably on social media at Liberty Diner Dish, except for Twitter, where I know it's just Diner Dish, even though I don't look at that. I know <laughs> it's just Diner. We do have a teammate who looks at that for us, though. So, and she forwards things to me. She screenshots it to me. Um, yeah, that is where you can. You can find us. You can also find us um, at our sister podcast, this Pink Plate Special. And we are we accidentally took a small hiatus in, in January. Uh, so I could tend to some family stuff, but we'll be back in February. I think, well, because it's like halfway gone. <laughs> and you're part of Bedwetter We Had. So Liver Dart is a no busy more. person. Well, no, it has been swallowed by Ben Whitaker, so it's no more. So swallowed. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> I'm gonna go back on Bri- mute now. <laughs> How would Brian feel about that? Oh, he would be all for that. I was gonna say, I think that's something that he definitely advocates for. So, yeah. <laughs> Tiff, please don't leave. I have Tell fallen down me. an NC17 rabbit hole. And on a Sunday, oh, a hole, huh? <laughs> I, see, 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 any word, any word. It's just this, just this. It's like, boom, 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 boom. You can find me. Uh, I guess I'm sort of like a part time Twitterer now. Like, I'm barely on there. If you know, if you, if you shout out me, I will answer. I promise. But it's at who is tip as me. Yeah, I used to be big time on there, but yeah, no, not so much anymore. Um, I'm on the Discord at who is tip with me. I'm on Instagram at who is tip with me. Yeah, if you want to find me, just plug in at who is tip with me. I'm private on some of the stuff, but you know, say hi. I'll answer. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you're private, maybe. <laughs> I make no promises. Well, thank you. And thank you all for not leaving. Uh, so 
This is Aaron. I, like I said on our last two episodes, I am no longer going to give my Twitter handle out because it's pointless to follow me on Twitter. I don't do anything anymore on there except for retweet stuff. So once again, follow Fergie on TikTok. I am very disappointed that my listeners didn't go make her TikTok videos viral. So come on, people. So go follow Fergie. It, um, you'll see the the profile pic is of my late dog Schroeder, but the account is Schroeder and Fergs, and that's S C H R O E D E R A N D F E R G S. <laughs> yeah, you do a little ja- jig, jig. <laughs> you do a little dance. Yes, jazz hands when you do that. <laughs> so go follow Fergie. It's cute, adorable content. Uh, be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. On TikTok, you can watch me choosing movies over there uh, at it's a fandom thing pod. Um, if you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, hey, Penn Badgley, if you'd like to come on and discuss <laughs> your, your life with us your life with us if you'd like to come on uh go to our website it's a fandomthingpod.com click the contact us button there that'll shoot us an email and i'll get back to you as soon as i can uh and then i also want to just say join us this sunday february 19th at 6 p.m mountain standard time as we reveal the winners in the first annual fandom choice awards my three panelists We're all nominated for a bunch. I don't have the numbers in front of me because I failed miserably. Uh, (laughs) What was that? Is that seven? Seven? Seventeen? Twenty? Twenty-three? Twenty-five? Well, I I know Carla is nominated for 28 because that's the most. Four? You're not nominated for just four, Tiff. No. (laughs) Thirteen. This this is mess. Thirteen. Oh, okay. I'm I'm seven. I'm pretty sure I'm seven. Seven, 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 sorry. <laughs> Can we do a friend's reference? I'm sorry. <laughs> Keeping the NC-17 going. Um. Anyway, bef- okay, so before I lose my panel, but please, please watch them. Um, it's so funny because we're recording this on the last day of ballads, and there were a few that I was like, oh, there's, those are decided. They're not going to change. They completely changed today, so... <laughs> There are a couple that, that, unless we're getting thousands more right now, there's no way they're changing. But, and I think now we no longer have any ties, but that could have changed. So we actually did have a really good turnout for our first year of doing this. And once again, thank you to Carla for DMing me, suggesting this. And then as I just do, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do it. (laughs) No thinking. I love that. Just do it. Just do it. So thank you, and thank you again to Patreon supporter Ellen for coming up with the name Fandom Choice Awards. So yes, so on our next episode, we are going to be talking about the amazing actress and director Regina King. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? 
At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.